The sermon text for this morning is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray for our brother and for God to honor his word. Father, we humble ourselves under your mighty hand because you are a great God and you have shown us your greatness by sending your son to humble himself, to lay his life down for us that we could be in your church. We could be here with your word, empowered by your spirit to hear from our brother your servant, Joe. God, use him and move in our hearts so that we cling to Christ and have his mind of humility and of service, of sacrifice, so that Christ is exalted and that you are glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Redemption City Church. Uh, yesterday, I was at a farm, a sheep farm, with my wife, Martha, and our friend, Abu Abdallah. And we were obtaining a sheep so that we could have food for everyone to eat at the Vision Casting Dinner tomorrow night. And as we picked out the sheep that we wanted, uh, I said, I said, right there, the fat one. We were all saying that, huge belly. That fat one right there, we want that one. Um, the farmer started after it, and, and it brought me back to the first time I went out with my friend Abu Abdallah, and we went to a farm that had a much bigger pen, and the sheep were much harder to catch as well, and it, I was brought back to this this moment where I was clumsily running around the pen trying to get this one sheep that we wanted, the, the fat one once again, and I was, we were not able to get it. There was two of us running around trying to catch it. And, and I realized that the most effective way to do this, because they were all running around in a, in a little flock, in a little herd. 
And the most effective way to do this was to cut the one you wanted off and separate it from the rest of the sheep. And then you would get it and ultimately you would eat it. Um, and that is also, that is called culling in uh, hunting terms. Lions, uh, cheetahs do this where they'll find the weakest link and they will start to chase the herd. And once there's one separated from the herd, they'll be able to have their meal. And this is also what our opponents, this is also what Satan seeks and attempts to do to God's people. He attempts to bring division to us and, and to separate us and make us weak in our individual, in our, by ourselves. And that is what I want to communicate today. That is what Paul wants to communicate to us is this unity so that we can remain strong in the in this joyful gospel partnership. So I just want to give a recap of where we've been. Uh, the first week, Patrick started us off with just giving us the story of the Philippian church, the first three converts, the uh, Lydia, the seller of goods, and the demoniac woman, the demoniac girl, and the Philippian jailer and his family. And then we see uh, years later, him writing this letter, Paul is a, a pastor, Paul is a, a shepherd, he's writing this from a shepherd's heart. He's also an apostle, but he seeks to shepherd these people, these Philippian believers. And he starts off by thanking God for their partnership in the gospel. For their, He says that you, are, for you making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then furthermore, he goes into talking about, he, he goes into a prayer of just asking that their love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that they would be able to approve what is excellent, be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. And then he gives them a report of what has been going on with him. He's in prison. They're probably a little discouraged. Paul's in prison. Uh, what's going to happen with us now? And he encourages them that even in spite of, or actually because of his imprisonment, the gospel is going out. The gospel is advancing. The kingdom is advancing. And then we see even more that, that it's encouraging. It's bringing confidence to the brothers so that they would speak the, the word without fear. And then he says, of course, some people are doing it out of good motives, uh, out of out of love, and others are doing it out of selfish ambition, uh, not sincerely seeking, thinking to afflict him in his imprisonment. And so he, what does he say to that, though? He says, as long as Christ is being proclaimed, in that he rejoices. Then he moves into this holding his life loosely, and him saying to live is Christ and to die is gain, but then him choosing what we will see later as the, the mind of Christ, him thinking like Christ as he chooses to remain with them. He's convinced that he will remain and continue with them for their progress and joy in the faith, sacrificing his own desires, his own needs. And then Adam last week, he preached on us as kingdom citizens, uh, being defined as those who are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents and those being marks of kingdom citizens and then talking about God's election campaign of separating the those of salvation and those of destruction and so that's where we find ourselves so it's kind of the the themes that have been coming through are 
are God's uniting his people as one. And there's some sort, there's probably something going on. We don't get a lot of, we don't get a lot of um, understanding about what, what's behind this emphasis on unity. Um, but that's what he's pressing really hard. Unity, unity, unity. So let me just pray really quick as we get started. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your radical love and your sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, so that we may be born again into your kingdom, Lord, so that we may be made whole and we will experience eternal life together. Lord, I pray as I preach your word that it would go forth and it would do what you want it to do, Lord, and that is not to glorify me, that is not to uh, edify myself, Lord, but that is to edify your people, Lord. Give me a shepherd's heart as I preach your word uh, and just lead people into Christ-like humility. Amen. So now we're at our text. That was one twenty-seven through 30, God's people, God's kingdom citizens, and then we come to our text, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So this is where we find ourselves. And I, I, I started asking myself, Paul, what do you mean if there is any encouragement in Christ? What do you mean if there is any comfort from love? All of these ifs, what are you saying if these things are present? And I think that what he's trying to communicate is because these things are present among God's people. Because if you remember back in the beginning of chapter 1, he's, he's saying, because you're, because I thank my God in all my remembrance of you and always in every prayer of mine, because of your fellow because of your participate because of your partnership excuse me in the gospel and that part that word for partnership is actually the same word that we find as participation so he's already been celebrating their partnership and their participation in the gospel and and comfort from love you see this theme of love like are you comforted by my love that I have for you. Like I have sacrificed my joys, my comforts, my desires by being here in prison, writing to you and, and choosing to remain with you all that for your progress and joy in the faith and the affection and sympathy. So he's pretty much saying that these things are present, Philippians. And it's similar to what Adam was doing the first week. He delighted in looking around the room and just seeing everybody's faces and seeing how much love we all have for each other, how much sacrifice we're willing to make in order to uh, edify others. That is such a beautiful thing. So Adam really reflecting a shepherd's heart and, and celebrating the love that you all have for one another. That's what Paul's doing. So he's not saying if, like, you guys should maybe, uh, I'm not sure if these things are present. If you're God's people, these things are present. There's at least a little bit in them, no matter what point you are going through in your life. And so he's celebrating that. So, so then we get him saying in verse 2, then, he doesn't say then, but complete my joy. Essentially that is, what are you saying though? If these things are present, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. So he says, we, if you remember in the very first part of the what we've been talking about, in the very first part of chapter 1, he says, for you making my prayer with joy. So he almost bookends it here. He says in verse 1, 4, Philippians 1, 4, and then 2, 2, he says, he's saying, complete my joy. I'm praying, or I'm thanking God because of your partnership in the gospel and you making my prayer with joy. Complete this joy that I have for you and your partnership in the gospel by doing these three things. And he actually mentions something similar to these three things right before that. He says, he says that in, he says that being of the same mind, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel in one twenty-seven and 28, not afraid in anything. So he's once again saying, have one mind among yourselves, just like we'll see in a little bit. Have one mind among yourselves. So you can almost see this as kind of a, a culmination or a crescendo of, of, of him just leading up to this proclamation of who Christ is and but then him also expecting you to be obedient because of the the foundation that you have in Christ and our call to be like Christ. And so we see that kingdom citizens are of the same mind, they have the same love, are in full accord and of one mind. So what does this look like? This is kind of your your state the the way that you think your state of mind. So what does this look like? He says, he says that it looks like doing nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition is pretty much doing things for your own plans, your own purposes, aside from the plans and purposes of God, uh, aside from what others who are in the kingdom are advancing with the gospel and, and what they're doing. So trying to do things for your own selfish gain. And and conceit, you can also translate this actually in the King James. It translated vain glory, which ultimately means it has the word dox in it, where we get doxology, we get glorify, we get glory. And you're ultimately glorifying yourself. So he's saying, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't do things for your own purposes alone. And do not glorify and exalt yourself. But in humility, count yourselves as more count others as more significant than yourselves. So he's really slamming home unity, but the way and the path to unity is through humility. You you can't have you can't have this unity without being humble and 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 serving others, finding out what their needs are, and and praying for them and seeking their good above your own and. I, so I thought about this in my own life, and I was, I was kind of like, Jake and I were talking, and he said pride is the, the, the one sin that there's no mirror to. So you, you can't really see pride in your own life. Other people can definitely see pride in your own life. Um, but it's, it's very difficult for you to see pride in your own life. So I thought to myself, okay, how can I find out if I'm prideful or if I'm thinking of myself as more important than others? And so I did an analysis every time I would, not every time, but multiple times throughout the week, I would approach a conversation cognizant of what I was thinking about, what I was talking about, 
and what kind of needs I wanted to get met. And, and I found myself, sadly to say, I found myself thinking about getting my own needs met. I found myself talking about myself. I found myself thinking about myself and not being present in the conversation. And so, sadly to say, I, I, I did not do well in this area, but it gives me this, 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 this line to judge my actions from. So, though I did not do well, I, I will not be condemned, but it gives me a, a place to move forward from of, okay, I'm going to enter conversations and seek ways to help others, seek ways to edify believers, seek ways to bring the love of God in other people's lives through my self-sacrificial actions. And I would exhort uh, everyone here to to do the same. This, if, if this is the way that we become unified, Jesus prayed this in John 17. He said, I, I pray for their unity. I pray that they would be one. So this is Jesus' prayer, and this is what Paul is shepherding us into, is a unified, to be, as God's people, unified in Christ-like humility. And he's calling us to put away our pride in order to do that. Because if you think that you're too important to listen to somebody, if you think that you're too important to uh, take your time out of your day to serve others, there will not be unity within the body. It's sacrificing your own needs, desires to serve others. And ultimately, you, if the body is working correctly, the, you will have your needs and your desires served through that. So in your daily interactions, think about what you're thinking about. Think about what you're talking about. And, and let that be a mirror uh, for your pride. And when you find those things, those areas in your life where you are too important for others, when you're not willing to listen to others, but you want to tell people how hard your day is, how hard your life is, uh, and that's your main goal in coming into conversations, I pray that you would put that to death, that you would put away your pride and your self-importance and consider others as more significant than yourselves. I pray that for myself as well after doing this uh, analysis of my life. So we, we have this mind that we're supposed to have. So have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what is Paul saying here? There's a couple of things that need to be cleared up that we'll clear up in a minute. But he says to have this mind among yourselves. So what does that mean? I, I was confused when he said this. I, I wondered, am I supposed to do the same things that Jesus did? Because he gives a, a, the actions that Jesus did that ultimately resulted from the way he thinks. And I'm like, I'm not God. I will never be equal with God. Though in my worst moments and before I was born again, I would that was my goal. Um, but I am not equal with God. I held no exalted position. So how can I, how can I do this? And... I never came down from heaven. So it's not about the actions that he did. We delight in his actions. We rejoice in his sacrifice. We 
we delight in the gospel and rejoice in what he's done for us. But it's more, more or less, it's a, it's a mindset that we're called to have. Other translations would say adopt the mindset, adopt the mind of Christ. So the way that he thinks, and, and, and like I said before, what, when I was entering those conversations, the, the first thing that I would have to think about is what am I thinking about? Am I thinking how can I serve this person? Or, uh, and that would ultimately result in, if I wasn't thinking about serving that person, it would ultimately turn out to be me talking about myself, me talking about my needs, my desires, uh, ultimately thinking that they're, that I'm too important, uh, to, to listen to them. So it starts with your thinking. So when we have this mindset of Christ, we uh, ultimately think of others before ourselves. So that clears that up. What does it mean to have the mind of Christ among you? It means to have the mindset or the, the way of thinking that Jesus had, which was ex- unbelievably, incomprehensibly self-sacrificial. And so what is this mind? It says this mind is already yours, brothers and sisters. If you are part of the kingdom, if you are God's people, this mind is already yours in Christ Jesus. You cannot have this mind outside of Christ Jesus. There's, it's, if you're outside of Christ Jesus and you're serving others, you, you're ultimately not doing it for the glory of God. You're, you're unknowingly, maybe, and sometimes knowingly, doing it for your own edification, doing it so that people uh, can look to you and see you as a, as a good person, as a righteous person because of you serving others. But if you're in Christ, we can have that as well, in Christ, but in Christ, this is the only way that you can have a truly self-sacrificial mind is if you are part of God's people or if you are in God's kingdom because this mind is yours in Christ Jesus. So I would say that we are called not to just say that delight in his, in his amazing sacrifice and his condescension and his exaltation, but we are called to think exactly like that in our daily interactions with one another for the purpose of being unified in Christ-like community. So there's a couple things that we need to clear up. Clear up. Uh, one is in verse 6, it says, um, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I don't know if you were wondering, but what does it mean to be in the form of God? I was confused about this as well, but you can just go right to the next verse. Being in the form of God is equated with being equal with God. So there's there's no confusion there. There might be at first, but but being in the form of God is to be equal with God. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped. And one thing I want to lay out here is that this is forgot what Jake called it. I think he called it the crown jewel of the New Testament as he was, as I picked it. And he said, don't mess it up. <laughs> um, but it is the crown jewel of the New Testament. It's called the Christ hymn. And the reason for that is we don't know if it's uh, Semitic or Hebrew or Greek origins, but it's poetic in that it's, it has two stanzas, seven lines each. And it's just this beautiful, confession of christ and his work his condescension as i said before his death in humility and his exaltation so it's a confession of sorts and we do this uh it's not just of sorts this is a confession 
of who Christ is. And we do this in, in a sense when we sing songs about God, or that's why they call it the hymn of Christ. When we sing about God and proclaim truths about him, we are confessing things about him. Some people say that this was something that was used in the early church before Paul and that he adopted it and put it in here. Um, I don't think that matters as much. It's true about Christ. It's true about God and, and what he's done for us. And whether Paul came up with it himself or used it, he's ultimately using this as an exhortation to God's people to be unified in Christ-like humility. So now we have uh, that cleared up. It's the Christ hymn. It's a beautiful poem of Christ's work of condescension, death, and exaltation. So then we get on to the next the next issue we have. This is probably one of uh, one of the most debated things uh, in church history. What does it mean to empty himself? He emptied himself. It's very confusing. Some people would say that he emptied himself of his deity and became fully man. He would for he he got rid of his rights for a time being as God, so that he become fully man and die for the sins of his people. That is wrong. Because it says he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. So he did, I think it would have said by getting rid of his, by getting, by emptying himself of his deity, of his, um, himself as God is what it would have said. But it says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So, so emptied himself does not mean that he lost any of who he was. As God in his uh, self in his exultant pre-existent state before the foundations of the world, he was there when God created the universe. He was there when God split the seas and and brought Israel through. He was there for the ten plagues. He's been there for everything. So he is equal with God, and he did not lose anything of his godlikeness in coming down and being born as a man. So he emptied himself into the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, he humbled himself. So he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And furthermore, even more, I should say, he humbled himself to the point of death. We're talking about the creator of the universe. We're talking about the one who is allowing you to breathe right now. We're talking about the one who is allowing you to experience his grace, the, the, the God who has power over every single thing that's going on in this room and outside of it, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That is incomprehensible. I can't even try to come up with words to talk about it, and you just can't. It's, you, I don't even know if we'll under, fully understand that in heaven. It is absolutely Amazing that God came down and was obedient to the point of death for the sake of rebels, for the sake of sinners, people who, even even if you are a quote unquote righteous person and you never do drugs, you never you never sin sin uh, in your own eyes, you are exalting yourself above God. You are putting yourself in His throne by doing that, and and He. He did not have to do this. He, he could have been with himself and his father and the spirit for all of eternity, enjoying the, the glories of heaven. And yet he came down to be born and to be like us and to die 
in our place so that we would be exalted with him in the end. Just one little note. He humbled himself by the point of death on a cross. So he came, he was born as a Jew uh, under the law of God. And and in God's law in Deuteronomy 21, it says that any, any man who is hung on a tree is is cursed. And we don't have a, a really good understanding of what it means to be cursed or, or blessed in in our Western culture. But I think in Middle Eastern culture, there's this, words mean something. So when you're cursed by God, you're cursed by God. That has weight to it. We might, we might not understand that here, but, but he was cursed by God in the way that he died. And so rejoicing in this hymn, confessing these things about Christ, about his uh, emptying himself to take on the form of a servant, though he was in the, the form of God, and, and humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, is beautiful, amazing. And I think it can be easy to just look at it theologically and say, wow, that's, that's so beautiful, that's amazing. But then to really boil it down to everything, this is God's radical love for his people. We're talking about God's kingdom citizens here. This is the flow of thought that has been coming through all of Paul's letter is, is just talking about God's kingdom people and, and, and talking about right now, live your lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your lives as kingdom citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. So we can come to this and say, oh, I want to be obedient like Christ was obedient, but you, you can't do that without, without rejoicing in God's radical love. Like I said before, the God of the universe, you could say it a million times, the God of the universe came down and was born and, and dwelt in a body just like yours. And he didn't have to. And so rejoicing in God's radical love is, is, a, is the fuel, the foundation for our obedience because that's ultimately what Paul is calling for. He's saying do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but count others as more significant than yourselves. Like I said in the beginning, Paul is a shepherd. Paul is a pastor. And so in the Philippians 2, 9 through 11, after his condescension and his death, he laid lower than any human will ever have to lay as the God of the universe. So in his condescension and in his humiliation, God says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is amazing. This is the second part of the hymn. That is amazing. That through, that, that is not how, that is not how it works in our minds. I think that the way that I get exalted, the way that I get brought to a higher position is working hard for it and, and putting myself above others. This is at my worst moments. Um, putting myself above others and and, and yet Jesus, through his humiliation, was exalted. This reminds me of what it says in First Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So it's our job as human beings to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. First, first through belief 
and faith in Jesus Christ. That is ultimately God's path to, uh, to salvation. That is, first we are supposed to trust in Jesus Christ and then this process of dying to ourselves every day and living for others. So therefore he has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ today, if you have not had faith in the, the condescension, the, the life that Jesus lived and his humiliating sacrifice and his ascension and the indwelling of the Spirit, if you do not know these things, if you've never heard them before, if you've heard them and they've not uh, pricked your heart to, to, be, to repent of your sins and to believe in Jesus Christ... I just want to say, it says in heaven and on earth and under the earth, you ain't hiding nowhere. You are not going to be able to hide from the, from the lordship of Jesus Christ when it comes in full reality. We experience his lordship right now, uh, but we will experience it fully. Uh, either him casting us out into the darkness, the, the destruction as it talked about in 128, Philippians 128, or we will experience the salvation and that from God. So you are not hiding anywhere. If you are not trusting in Christ right now, I am exhorting you to find a, a believer in here, find a Christian, someone who you know that can tell you the gospel, that can articulate the gospel. And if you don't understand it right away, that's okay. Keep pressing in because this is so, so important. This is eternal life and death. Keep pressing into it. Keep searching because this objective reality has the most dire consequences. So if you are not a believer, search out. Spend your whole life pressing into why do you not believe this? And I pray that God would change your heart. I pray that God would unveil your eyes to see the truth of his gospel and see his radical love that he had for you. And that he has for his people as a whole. And so that's believe, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters in Christ, as it said, which is yours in Jesus Christ. Uh, sorry, Emmett was doing something over there. <laughs> um which is yours in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give three practical points, which I hope will help people realize where they're at in in their their service of others, and and to just shepherd us into unity. That's what Paul is trying to do. He uses this hymn, this beautiful crown jewel of the New Testament, amazing. But Paul is a shepherd. He is shepherding the Philippian church. That's what he does in all his letters. He's shepherding them toward correct doctrine he's shepherding them toward love he's shepherding them toward unity and so he uses that confession in order to spur one spur these believers spur us onto love and good works so i would exhort you to do what i did take five interactions this week that you have with other people and come into the inter interaction cognizant into the conversation, cognizant of what you're thinking about before you enter it, while you're in it, who you're talking about, and what kind of needs are you trying to meet. So that can mean, are you getting your needs met, or are you trying to meet the needs of others? Are you seeking ways to pray 
for that person or to pray for those people? Or are you uh, so involved in yourself that you, you can't even listen to them because you're so concerned about what's going on in your life? So, so to... Sorry. So to think about five conversations that you have with people, five interactions, think about what you're thinking about, think about what you're talking about, and think about what kind of needs you're going to get met. And then I want you to find three people to think about them before yourself, whether it's in prayer or meeting a physical need or uh, anything, and, and go to them and meet that need before you, a need of yours is met. Just a practical way to to live this out and be brought together in unity because I find I found myself shocked and almost grieved at the the state of my my mind and my heart when I did this it's like how often am I thinking about myself constantly and not thinking about others and so I want to be intentional about serving others because we still have sin in us we still have pride in us we need to be intentional about uh, cultivating Christ-like humility and as God's people growing in unity. And so the last thing is delight in Christ. The only way that you can do this, you can't do this out of sheer obedience. I mean, you can. Some people can do it for years probably, but the most effective, the the best way to do this, the most biblical way to do this is to look to Christ as your example and just delight in what he has done for you brothers and sisters delight in the fact that he humbled himself by by he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant humbled himself to the worst possible humiliation and death and and ultimately his exaltation which we're in christ we will ultimately be with him in his exalted state as worshiping him and and living in subjection and submission to our perfect king to our perfect shepherd so delight in Christ, five conversations, cognizant about what you're thinking, talking, and what needs you want to get met, and then three ways that you can meet other people's needs before yourselves. So I want to just get to one last point, and that it comes back to my introduction where I talked about getting uh, separating the sheep. So Paul is talking to a bunch of sheep. Jake Rankin and I were talking, I think on Monday, about this sheep that we we're going to go get. And he was like, sheep are so dumb. And he's like, that's interesting that God equates us to sheep. And, and so, so we, that's why we need to constantly be exhorted to unity. And so I say that they're strongest, the sheep were strongest when they were in a group together. When they were separated, they were vulnerable to be uh, hung up and prepared for a meal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so just as they are stronger as a whole and their needs are met by the shepherd as a whole, uh, I just pray that if, if you are not part of a, a, a local church in here, this is so fundamental. This happens as a body of believers. Uh, you will not be, you, your needs, your spiritual needs uh, will not be met through uh, being by yourself outside of a local body of believers because it's through you serving others and then in turn others serving you. So I exhort you to if you have not been if you have not been part of a local church for a while, if you are feel isolated like I know tons of us do even part of the local church because we weren't able to meet for a while, 
I just exhort you, this is so fundamental. This is how I am still sober today, is being in a group, a body of believers who uh, edify me, who serve me, and I serve them as well. So just an exhortation to be part of the body. You have gifts that we need. You have gifts that we need. Please edify us with, with your gifts, and we will do the same with you let me pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. Though we do not see you, we love you. Though we do not now see you, we believe in you and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And I pray that this text for today would be something that we would meditate on, we would delight in, we would rejoice in the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, and it would spur us on to, as your people, as your kingdom citizens, to be united in Christ-like humility, putting away our pride and having Christ as our example and seeing him as our greatest joy, Father. So we just pray that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen.